Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, the GigaCity company, a philanthropic community partner since 1922 and proud supporter of numerous community organizations. More information at smithville.com. And School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life publichealth.indiana.edu. Hello and welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Sarah Whitmire. Joe Renz co-hosting with me today. Bob Zaltzberg is out. And today we're talking about emotional support animals. Airlines are cracking down on emotional support animals after a passenger attempted to bring a peacock onto a United Airlines flight. And United officials say they've experienced a 75% year-to-year increase of customers bringing support animals on flights. United and Delta have now placed new requirements and restrictions on the kinds of animals that can be brought onto their planes. Indiana Senate Bill 240 is also looking to address emotional support animals in housing by permitting landlords to require written proof from a licensed health professional if a person does not have an apparent disability. So today, our panelists are going to be discussing the regulation of emotional support animals. Of course, you can join the conversation on Twitter at Noon Edition. You can join us on the air by calling in at 812-855-0811, toll-free at one 877 285-9348. And you can also email us your questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org. Our guests today are Tia Arthur. She's the courthouse facility dog handler from Monroe County Casa in Bloomington. Jessica Hurt is the house manager at Stonebelt in Bloomington. Sally Irvin is joining us on the phone. She's the program director at Indiana Canine Assistance Network in Indianapolis. And Benjamin Wolter is a certified dog trainer at Blooming Paws here in Bloomington. So thank you all so much for being here today. Thank you for having us. So if we can just start the conversation, um, I think just laying some definitions is the groundwork, but what is an emotional support animal and how is that different from a service animal? Okay. so. The thing about the dog training world is this, is that there's a lot of moral gray area, right? Um, there's no clear-cut way to get a service dog certification or to get a actual dog training certification. You kind of choose, in especially in Indiana, yeah. you kind of choose what school you go to based off of their goals and you research it, right? And then you choose that certification for it, right? Um, there are recommendations and there are tests that you can take online for service dogs as well, too. But you have to do that training with the service dog with an appointed trainer, which is no actual delegation. So right, so there's a lot of moral gray area when it comes to the dog training world. There's no clear-cut way to do anything, just like I said. Um, an emotional support animal is something that you can have with you that can help you with anxiety, something that is, again, recommended by doctors. But there is no actual training required for that. And then there's only recommended training required for service dog training, if that makes any yeah. sense. It does, and and if I could join in, I think one of the biggest differences between them and distinguishing the emotional support animal and the service dog is the Americans with Disabilities Act that clearly defines the the service dog, Mm -hmm. and they say it's got to be individually trained in a specific task behavior Mm -hmm. that directly mitigates a person's disability. Yes. And so that dog has been trained in something that upon a cue given, uh, the dog executes the behavior and Mm -hmm. it helps the person's symptoms, whatever their disability is. With an emotional support animal, they do not have to have any trained task behaviors. And I think more importantly, they don't have to have any uh, training in how to behave when they're out in public. Uh, And that's the other area where service dogs have a great deal of training Mm -hmm. in terms of how to appropriately behave in public, how not to pull on a leash, lunge at other dogs, pick up anything off the floor, um, solicit attention. And so there's equal amount of training that goes into a service dog to have it have the right behavior out in public as well as the task. So I think that's one of the distinguishing characteristics. Yeah. Are I there different? I'm sorry, sorry. Go ahead. I think that um, as far as emotional support animals and people saying that they don't require training and that kind of stuff, they're still held to the same standards as um, you know mobility support animals and seeing eye dogs as far as like how they act in public. So I wouldn't, you know, people would look at me funny and think, you know, oh my gosh, this dog is not an ESA if she's lunging at people or if she's, you know, trying to eat food off the floor, trying to, you know, get to other animals 
but because she has been through training to not pick up things that she doesn't <coughs> know about on the floor and not, you know, act certain ways in public, she's clearly, you know, set apart from other dogs as she is a service. Like, she does provide a service. She is, mm-hmm. you know, a support animal. And so, uh, if I may and interject I, real quick, um, the thing about a service dog is it can provide any task that you need it to be, whether it be diabetic alert, it could be a protection dog helping you with your PTSD. That's what my mentor, Jeff Minder, down at Top Tier Canine has for his dogs because he was a veteran. Um, so, um, and it is actually, you do not have to provide that information with anybody. Um, now, airlines, hotels, stuff like that, they all have separate rules depending on the franchise, right? And you have to research that kind of deal. But um, it's just a dog that provides a service for you, essentially. And I think once we start using words like service, it sort of gets confusing, too, because there's service dogs, there's assistance dogs, there's emotional support animals. Mm -hmm. If I could go back to something you said about how well-behaved your emotional support dog is, that's fantastic. And I think the majority of them are pretty well-trained. It's the people that misuse the system and then have a dog out there that's not. But also a distinguishing characteristic between emotional support animals and service dogs is emotional support animals do not have the right to be in public places Mm -hmm. uh, other than where a pet dog can go. So a service dog by the Americans with Disabilities Act has the right to go with its person with a disability uh, into any area that that person might go. So that's another distinguishing feature in terms of the two different uh, entities. And are there different rules about what animals qualify? Because like, um, like yeah. we've talked a lot about dogs. But as, like, can we define a disability? Is it something that is, you know, is somebody wheelchair bound and that's their disability? Um, you know, psychiatric disabilities aren't always visible. So are you as, like, would somebody assume that because I don't have a visible disability that this is an emotional support animal and not a service dog? And then that would raise question, stuff like that. Like, it, there's just a ton of gray area with the concept in general and then with, you know, the bill in question. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's interesting. So the Americans with Disabilities Act, and I think it was about 2011 or 2015, specifically redefined um, their assistance dog or assistance animal as an assistance dog. So it's a dog um, or, in certain cases, a miniature horse that's specifically trained to help people who guide people who are blind. Mm-hmm. Whereas the emotional support animal, depending on what entity you're talking about, has a broader definition of what constitutes one of those animals. Mm-hmm. So the um, air traffic folks um, have a different definition of a, an emotional support animal and what animals constitute that, probably than folks that are renting apartments or something like that that are covered with the Fair Housing Act. Okay. Tia, I want to get you involved here. If you can just talk about how all this confusion <laughs> has, is, is sort of a, affecting the, the work of service animals, in your opinion. Well, I think that it can create problems for people who have service dogs, and they might be uh, subjected to more stringent um, people looking at them and maybe thinking they don't really need that service dog when in fact they do um, because there's all this attention drawn on and people don't understand the difference between um, an emotional support animal and a service dog. I have a facility dog and he's not a service dog. He's not an emotional support animal and and people want to call him a therapy dog too and he's not that either. So um, there's a lot of confusion and I myself didn't know about all of that until I started getting into it myself. So um, before I really was educated, I, I had referred to facility dog as a therapy dog and even a service dog. But, but now that I've educated myself and really you, you really don't know until you don't know what you don't know, basically. And, and as Sally mentioned, um, you, the use of the words are so important. They're just so important and people get confused. Mm-hmm. Sally, did you want to react to that question? Um, I sort of now blanked on the question. Um, <laughs> so I think it was regarding how... Um, just, just how all the confusion affects the work of the service animals. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish what we could go back and honestly say is, you know, someone 
someone wrote something great on Facebook the other night, and it was saying that they want to get rid of everyone complaining about fake service dogs and fake emotional support animals. And what they really want to say is somebody's faking a disability. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really pretty critical Mm -hmm. because the dog comes second. The person with a disability or a disabling condition comes first. And so the the issue is not so much, um, gosh, if all dogs were incredibly well-behaved, I don't think there would be any problem. But unfortunately, people who either have a legitimate disability or people that don't and are are misusing the system might bring a dog in public, okay, that will attack a service dog. And it happens a little bit more with people that are blind and having their guide dogs attacked because they're not able to see the oncoming dog. But then that dog is rendered pretty much not able to perform its task anymore many times if the attack is pretty significant. Um, Essentially, they have a bit of a PTSD from from that episode. And so there's been a bit of research more in the UK and, and other places in Europe looking at the number of attacks that guide dog users have experienced because of an unruly dog uh, out. So I think that's one of the issues. Eight one two eight five five zero eight one one or toll free at one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight. If you have a question for our panelists here today. Yeah, so I'm hearing that there's two different, we have the emotional support animals Mm -hmm. and service animals, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of gray area between those, but they each have different rights associated with them. So Mm -hmm. uh, is there a, you know, a certificate or how is that regulated? Well, unfortunately, it's not. Go ahead. (laughs) No, you're good. Um, It's really not. Uh, I forget exactly what website it is. But um, uh, as far as general requirements that I made in my own little kind of service dog program, it's about 165 hours of training in the first year for a service dog, all involving public desensitization, keeping downs, keeping sits, whether it's a mobility-type dog. We actually have a student here or a client over at Blooming Paws that goes to IU here, and she has uh, limited mobility in her leg. And she has a nine-month-old um, Mastiff that is supposed to help her, and she actually ran into some issues here with uh, not being able to have her dog in the class. Since then, I've wrote a letter. It's all resolved now. But um, she has trained that dog since day one, and that dog stays with her, doesn't whine, doesn't do anything, right? So essentially the idea is that I always kind of tell people with service dogs it's going to require a lot of time, and if you train them properly and you stay consistent in the training, nobody's going to really give you much trouble unless they just don't kind of like dogs, essentially. Mm -hmm. But as far as, like, actually having a certificate or an actual final test, there's a form, I think, on the ADA, um... I forget exactly what that stands for. That um, basically you you can test with a trainer, and then that trainer can pass you on it. Right? But you're not required to carry any type of any like, type certificate of, or anything no. in Indiana. Like I know some states are different mm-hmm. as far as like what they um, do and how they regulate, you know, service dogs and ESAs and therapy dogs and that kind of stuff. Um, but in Indiana, there's not. You know, you don't have an ID for your dog saying like this is what they are. And according to, and I hate going back to it, but it seems to be the the federal law and holy grail for assistance dogs. So in 2015, the Americans with Disabilities Act did a great thing and came out with a very detailed description of the behavioral expectations for a service dog out in public. And it did a great, it's about seven or eight or more pages Mm -hmm. that literally went through very common questions. So one of them is four on the floor. Um, A service dog out in public should have all four feet on the floor, never be on a bench at a restaurant, uh, not being held and walked through the store, certainly not put in a grocery cart or another cart. Um, And so things of that nature so that um, business owners and, and any other business entity could have some idea of what are the expectations uh, for someone with their service dog when they're out in public. So that at least created some guidelines regarding the expectations of the behavior of the service dog. So why aren't support animals required to have some sort of training? And, and that's, do you think they that's should? That's kind of be? why we're here at the, at the regulatory stage, right, is because right. Uh, a lot of people tend to take advantage of that. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. most places tend to have a rule against bully breeds, <clears throat> i.e. pit bulls, rottweilers, stuff like that. And landlords are like, you can't have a pit bull here, right? So a lot of people go and they say, well, I can make him an ESA and then I can have my pit bull here. 
right? Mm-hmm. And that's a what, and that's kind of why we're at this regulatory stage in the Senate is people are taking advantage of it. My own mom has an emotional support animal as well for her anxiety. It's a golden retriever, and she just flew out to California and back, and the dog behaved in the airport the whole time, right? Because I trained the dog, mm-hmm. right? So what I'm seeing here and what I'm kind of thinking is that if we give, you know, maybe if I had a choice in the matter, right, which I, I won't, I'm just going to train dogs, it's easy. <laughs> um, but, uh, but you know, you take, you take an ESA, right, and you give them public access if they have X amount of training, and then essentially the idea is that they would kind of be exactly like service dogs, right? Now, um, the AKC is unfortunately not as involved in this as well either, and they do have a test for therapy dogs as well as CGC, which stands for Canine Good Citizen. Right, um, and it's a very easy test to pass. That's what we test for at our group classes at Blooming Paws. Um, and then there's two different variations of that, which is an urban environment CGC, and an advanced, which is all scenario based. Right, I'll go sit down at a clipboard. I need my dog to keep it down while I fill out a registration form, and then I'll get up and walk. Right, I'll work. I'll walk through in and out of moving doors. Right, and I usually recommend anyone with service dogs and uh, ESAs as well to kind of set these as goals for themselves. Right. Um, and that way, it's kind of just an AKC, a- AKC way of saying, I have a certified good animal, right? Mm-hmm. It's a certified good mm-hmm. boy, as I call my dog, since he is a CGC. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And, and Jessica, I mean, y- you do have a dog here, and I wouldn't have known. Uh, yeah. She's so, well, very well behaved. Yeah, this is so, what I would want out of an ESA, right? right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I want to get your reaction just to if there should be some sort of requirement for training. I think there should be. Um, The thing about Daisy is that I never took her to classes. I trained her specifically based on what I needed from her Mm -hmm. um, because she, you know, she was my dog and then along came my disability. And so she adapted to that and like works through that and see like as I'm talking and like as I'm like starting to move around, she's like, oh my gosh, what's going on? She responds to that. So the more like worked up I get, the more worked up she's going to get because that's what she knows. And so having like a generalized training as far as like behaviors in public and stuff, that's great. But I think that for ESAs, like they need to provide some type of service to, you know, their handler. And so their training is going to vary. Just it's Sally. Doesn't that make it then a service dog if it's been trained specifically exactly. to do something to help with your condition? It Yes, but when you're talking about like um, service dogs versus emotional support animals, because my um, disability, I guess, is, you know, anxiety, it falls mm-hmm. under the ESA mm-hmm. instead of the service dog. It really doesn't have to because w- there's a category, and PTSD is a perfect example of psychiatric service dogs. And so right. people often get emotional support animals and psychiatric service dogs confused. Mm-hmm. So if a dog is simply providing comfort, when, and that's great. I wish you know, we all could attest to that. That's wonderful. But that, if that's the, the, the task of the dog, so to speak, that's not a service dog. But if your service dog does something very specific to help you take a deep breath or do something to reduce your anxiety, then that's a task behavior that's prompted by a behavior that you have of yours, which makes it a psychiatric service dog. Right. True. If we have therapy animals that are trained to provide support and and comfort to people, do we still then need emotional support animals? So I think you just brought up a huge category Mm -hmm. in terms of therapy animals. And I guess I like to try to think of it as therapy animals are providing service to somebody other than their handler. So like Jordy there with Tia, he doesn't provide service to, to Tia. He is facilitated by Tia, okay, to provide some type of benefit to a third party. So that's the, the big difference between a therapy dog. A uh, good example is um, we have a dog there as well that gets taken to Riley's Children's Hospital, right? Mm-hmm. And he gets to hang out with the kids there, also gets taken to uh, retirement homes and stuff like that. So it's it's a dog that has a handler, right? But that hand, but that dog is providing service towards other people, right? That may be sick, mm-hmm. may have anxiety, may have mental disabilities, something like that. Um, whereas an ESA is specifically for you. So with Tia and with Daisy, Jessica, Jessica, Daisy. sorry, you're too. I'm sorry. <laughs> so for example, what Jordy does, my my job as a handler is to facilitate him having a relationship with a child and they build a rapport, and then he assists the child when they are required to participate in legal proceedings. Mm -hmm. And so um, 
I would like to say though that the the therapy dog re- requirements um, and their their philosophy on um, how they how the handler is with the dog and when the dog rests and things of that nature is very different from a facility dog. Um, so I can be off leash with Jordy. I can command him to be off leash to do a task um, with the child or for the child. Whereas the therapy dog, they they have to be on leash at all times. Mm-hmm. So that's one one major example. So those are kind of opposing viewpoints for the facility dog and the therapy could, dog. But but they give, do assist um, a third party um, in that same way. So I don't need him to provide a service for me or assist me um, in any way. It's it's him assisting a child, and I facilitate that. And you train them in that role. Okay. Um, I do, yes, ongoing training with him, but he wasn't trained by me. He was trained by Indiana Canine Assistant Network for the first two years of his life. Okay. I want to give our numbers again here. If you have a question for our panelists, 812-855-0811. You can also tweet us on Twitter at Noon Edition or email us at news at indianapublicmedia.org. So I assume a lot of the talk about legislation or regulating regulating this is when people take advantage of, of, of the situation. And Sarah mentioned this too. We've been talking about a lot about dogs, but there are other animals, I'm sure, as well. Um, could you talk about or someone a little bit more about than just dogs and are there other types of animals that uh, this is? We have a few people that have their cats as ESAs too, but as far as I understand, uh, they did it to not have to pay a pet deposit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's, and that's just a lot of what's going on. If you ha- if you can have a peacock that's well-trained as an ESA, then that's awesome. But <laughs> apparently apparently that was not the case. I'm not sure if anything happened from that. I was going to ask if anyone knew the story behind the peacock. <laughs> I, I just found out about it as soon as they, you guys asked me to come on earlier this week. I saw it in the news. So. Yeah. 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 Um, so. But, I mean, should we, should we define that a little more? I mean, there are there kinds of animals that we should say, no, you, you can't – a peacock probably isn't a good fit, or is that a slippery slope to go down? I mean – Go ahead. Uh, with, like, a disability, it's hard to explain. You know, maybe he has – maybe the person has something where the feathers are – providing some sort of comfort, you know what I mean? So if we're going to start picking down what can be an ESA and what can't, then I don't see how we can really explain that when it comes to, like, a disability. I think that as long as the animal in question can behave and can be, like, Mm -hmm. transitioned into a domestic environment, then there shouldn't be any, like, reason for, you know, retribution or backlash. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, if you're going to bring, like, a wild you know, crazy animal into a store, then you've got a problem with like endangering other people. But as long as the animal is behaving appropriately, it doesn't necessarily matter what type of animal it is. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, again, there are two acts, so to speak. So the Air Carriers Act and the Fair Housing Act, which specifically address emotional support animals. And I think, though don't quote me, they define them differently. So with the Air Carriers Act, I know, for example, that they uh, do not allow rodents or snakes of any kind um, as an emotional support animal. Uh, When they talk about birds, the birds have have to be a certain size and contained in a cage. So I think the Air Carriers Act, again, they're taking an animal uh, up 30 way high in the sky um, and no easy escape route for for poor behavior that there might be, and I don't know this for sure, there might be a slight difference in definition of what animals constitute an emotional support animal between the Air Carriers Act and the Fair Housing Act. T, I want to let you weigh in here. Um, well, I'm just in reviewing the, the proposed bill, um, they, they don't specify. Um, right. And so um, I guess I, I don't really have an opinion on that other than um, I just, as long as my dog is doing what I need him to do and he's not being bothered by other dogs who aren't behaving well in public, uh, then I'm not going to have a problem. I He's already been bitten by a dog who wasn't on a leash um, here in Bloomington, yep. and uh, that that was an issue we had to do some retraining around that um but he's he's bred and trained to be a passive dog so he's not going to defend himself and um so i guess you know in terms of certain types of animals just 
let let me and my dog do the job that we need to do without being interrupted. Yeah. We'll talk more about that after a break. And I also want to, we'll touch on this piece of legislation, and we have some questions for our panelists about that, and we'll also go to the phones. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. From the Milton Metz studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com, and IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIU News. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live. And you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't find anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Sarah Whitmire, and today we're talking about emotional support animals and also talking a little bit about service animals. Today we have a great panel, Tia Arthur. She's the courthouse facility dog handler from Monroe County Casa. Jessica Hurt, the house manager at Stonebelt in Bloomington. Sally Irvin's on the phone. She's the program director at the Indiana Canine Assistance Network. And Benjamin Walter, who's a certified dog trainer at Blooming Paws. You can join the conversation today, 812-855-0811. 0811 or on Twitter at Noon Edition and email at news at indianapublicmedia.org. So let's start here by going to the phones. Sarah from Bloomington has a question. Go ahead, Sarah. Hi. Uh, you talk mostly about dogs and you talk mostly about, um, well, no, not all in, all in the same situation. In enclosed spaces, um, not, I'm thinking of cats and other animals and, and people with allergies. Uh, and I wonder how any legislation can balance the needs of the person who needs a support animal or whatever the right category of animal is with the needs of the person who, who can't tolerate such animals in an enclosed space. I also know that in airports, uh, support dogs and their need for toileting facilities is difficult. I wonder again how they manage that on planes and any other enclosed travel situation. Uh, those are great questions, Sarah. Thank you. Tia, do you want to respond? Yeah, so um, there's a study that was done um, by the National Institute of Health that um, suggests that uh, public spaces already have pet allergens in them, and so a dog who has good hygiene, which a facility dog or service dog, they have to maintain good hygiene because they're out in public. Um, so a dog's presence is not going to contribute to what's already there. Um, so people who ha people have some other kind of animal. How about a cat, she's saying, or some other animal like that? Great question. I only know about the dog research. Um, I'm wondering, <laughs> Sally, no. do you know anything or, yeah. or Jessica? Uh, no, unfortunately, I don't. Um, uh, and again, I think, you know, the Emotional support animal is really um, affects the Fair Housing Act, and so, or I should say, vice versa. So it's really more often than not, an emotional support animal is living in the home of someone, and if it's rental property, they get it, they get allowed to do it, even if they don't allow dogs um, or some other animal, I suppose. So really, if it's in the person's home, it doesn't have much effect on other people. Um, and when it's in the community, an emotional support animal is only allowed to go where pet dogs and animals can go, uh, so not enclosed places and not public places, so to speak. Where it gets a little trickier is in the enclosed space of a plane. And so I don't know what they do regarding allergies in cats. Uh, but I know that they transport cats often uh, in cabin that are just pets. So they must address it in some fashion. And maybe cats fall in the same way that Tia was explaining dogs and the allergens just being in the air. 
Um, I know as far as transporting cats and keeping, you know, their fur from flying and from allergies getting really high, they have, uh, I don't even know what they're called. They're just like bags and you put your cat in the bag and then there's like a little hole for their head to stick out and it helps. Yeah, it sounds really weird. I see you laughing. Um, Their head sticks out and it helps to like reduce, you know, the, the cat's anxiety and also to help the cat. Um, you know, from shedding as much because everything is contained inside this bag. Mm-hmm. Now, the bag is breathable, and so, like, you know, small particles can still get out of the bag. But as far as, like, you know, crazy amounts of hair going everywhere and, you know, getting in other people's spaces, the bags really help to contain all of that. Okay, Sarah. Well, thank you for the question. if you also have a question for our panel today. I want to talk about Senate Bill 240, and just quickly here, it defines an emotional support animal as a companion animal that a health service provider has determined provides a benefit for an individual with a disability can be physical, psychiatric, or an intellectual disability, and it determines that only physicians, psychiatrists, social workers, or another mental health professional can give written permission. Um, I want to first, let's have you respond, Sally, to if if you are in support of the legislation, if you think this is is a good step forward. Uh, Thanks. Um, You know, I think the legislation started when Senator Lysing was approached by a number of her constituents who were landlords and had rental properties, and also some staff of a local hospital uh, describing the unruly animals that were coming in to visit patients or be with people, um, and the landlords that were getting increased um, requests for emotional support animals and just feeling like they had nowhere to go. And so she really started to investigate the area and tried to figure out what could be done. Um, So what the bill is doing, so yes, I am in support of it. Um, So what the bill is doing is similar to what the airlines have done uh, with the Air Carriers Act. So they require someone traveling with an emotional support animal to have a letter uh, from a health care provider pretty similar to what's asked for in this legislation and in, in this bill. So I think they really are modeling the Air Carriers Act and saying what is it that they ask for and what do the airlines ask for regarding someone traveling with an emotional support animal. Okay. And we have some audio from an interview we did with the Fair Housing Center of um, Central Indiana. The, the executive director is Amy Nelson. And we have a clip of her talking about why they are actually against this bill. So let's hear that clip. We were primarily against Senate Bill 240 due to the inclusion of an infraction penalty, uh, basically a Class A infraction for individuals uh, if they were found to um, potentially have such an animal that didn't qualify for. The issue with that is that very often what ends up happening with infractions and penalties is it deters individuals who have lawful reasons to obtain animals needed for their disabilities uh, because it puts fear upon them that they may not know their rights or understand their rights and that they have a legal right to have these animals and then be hesitant to ask. In addition, the other problem is that very often there may be retaliation, even if an individual is justified, and that individual is going to have to find an attorney, have to deal with the legal process, and many individuals here in Indiana do not have the capacity to locate attorneys to assist them. And I'll also add in, too, the penalty um, doesn't apply just to the individual, but as well to the medical professional. And that could potentially be an additional barrier. An individual's doctor may not be willing to get even involved in a legal process, even when a request might be justified, and refuse to provide that documentation, even when justified, out of fear that that medical professional may have to be dealing with fighting off an infraction. So it seems like their opposition has a lot to do with the, this potential $10,000 penalty and maybe discouraging folks. Is that a concern you share, Jessica, when you look at the law? I do, just because... Or the bill, I'm sorry. Um, so when I went through the process of, like, talking to my doctor and, you know, just expressing to them, like, maybe this is something that's going to be beneficial for me, I didn't go to a psychiatrist or to a therapist because my insurance didn't cover it. And so when I read this bill and it says, you know, only psychiatrists and therapists and, you know, certain doctors under certain licenses 
can provide that documentation, I kind of step back and I'm like, whoa, how are other people able to get that documentation if they can't afford to go to a doctor that holds that license? And so it just sends up a big red flag for me because, you know, you can't separate who's going to have a disability and who's not going to have a disability just because they can't afford to get the documentation that they need. You Go ahead, Sally. I think you're trying to jump in. Um, yeah, sorry about that. Just didn't mean to cut you off. Um, I think you might not have the most recent version. So there were a couple of amendments made to the bill, and one was where they're defining a physician very broadly now. So it's any licensed physician in the state of Indiana. Um, so it can be any specialty. Um, and then they separate out psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, nurse practitioners, and the rest. So they've made it much broader. So I think someone must have brought up a concern like you had that maybe I can afford to go with my insurance to a family doc or an internist, but not uh, another specialist. So they broadened that. Um, and, 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 you know, in regards to, you know, what I think it's Amy was saying regarding their opposition to the bill or their, their concerns about the bill, you know, I think if people are telling the truth and doing the right thing, so if somebody's got a real disability and a disability defines as, you know, they're, they're having difficulty performing an activity of daily living, so if somebody's really got a disability and they've got an animal or let's say a dog in this case that's well-behaved, you know, I would hope that they wouldn't feel um, that they're, they're up against more. Um, I'm hoping, as I think the, the writers of the bill are, is that it's the other people that are abusing the system and essentially claiming that they have a disability, therefore they're able to bring this animal into usually restricted um, living situations. Do you all think that we actually are seeing more instances of abuse, or are they just being more widely reported? Abuse towards what? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, people who are illegitimately using using animals and saying they are an emotional support animal. I haven't noticed any personally, at least from me, but I do see a lot of people abusing the right to try to get them in order to get them in, right? I get asked pretty weekly, uh, or about weekly, about whether, you know, um, I should get my pit bull as an ESA so that I can live with my landlord, as I mentioned earlier. I've so. heard that a lot, too. And I've, you know, people see Daisy and they see me and they're like, oh, well, she gets to take her dog to all these places. I'm going to do that so I can take my dog. Yep. And it's like, it's different. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're fine. You don't, you just want to be able to do this thing that I'm doing for your convenience, not for, you know, a specific purpose for your health or for your, you know, your mental health, any of that. It's just, I want to take my dog somewhere because it's cool. So I've, I've had a lot of people make comments about that and, you know, you just have to kind of help them take a step back and think, you know, do you need to do this? Because in some circumstances, it's not, you know, this fun activity that you get to do. You know, you're taking your dog through a grocery store and other people are like, oh my gosh, a dog. And it's like, no, 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 keep going. Like, <laughs> run. Don't pet my dog. Right. <laughs> You know, you're, you're asking, and, you know, is it an increase? I'd say as a service dog provider doing this in Indiana for 15 years now that we are seeing more and more of our clients who are partnered with a dog complain about unruly animals in public places. So I'd say there's definitely an increase. And the other thing that's created this increase in misrepresentation and, and abuse of, of the opportunity to do this is all the crazy online registries. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can register online for $159 uh, that you can have your dog certified to be either an ESA or a service dog. And they will send you a vest and they'll make you an ID card that looks more official than ours does. It looks like, and, a, like a driver's license. And it's like it a dog tag. It does look like a driver's license. <laughs> yeah. And so, the, unfortunately, yeah. anyone wanting to abuse the system has incredible access with all these online mm -hmm. registries, which are essentially just gouging people for money. Which is mm -hmm. the same thing with dog training, right? Yeah. So yeah. you have to choose what school you want to go to, who you want to learn from. You have to really do your research. You know, there is no AKC certified dog trainer type deal or anything like that. So... How does that differ from what you do, Tia? Well, um, I've been um, partnered with Jordy for about 15 months now, about 16 months. And so um, I would say we're fairly new into this program that, that we're doing. And 
but I will say that people um, often want to tell me about their friend who got their dog certified online or, um, you know, they, they, I don't know if it's just a way to kind of talk about dogs or what, but when I hear that, it gives me, I'm alarmed um, because I really hope I'm not working with my dog and and I see (laughs) your friend with their dog Um, because there isn't really any training that that goes along with that or that's required with that. And um, so it puts a lot of um, uh, added stress on my dog to be able to do the job that he needs to do um, without having to worry about another dog around or another um, emotional support animal that, um, that might be in that same area. You know, I thought that was interesting. You touched upon it really briefly, but what are some of the things we should think about if if we are at a grocery store or at um, and see a service dog or at the airport and we mm-hmm. see a ESA, we should not go up to the dog or try to pet the dog? No. <laughs> no. Don't even look at the dog. I, really? I have yeah. the biggest the problem doing it myself, and it's like half of my job. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? I see I mean, the dog. children, everyone are, you know, gravitates towards yep. animals and, and pets, right? Yeah. That's why it yeah. takes... A certain amount of training right mm-hmm. you know we want to that's why it takes 165 hours in the first year for the service dog right because we want to desensitize them to kids coming up and trying to pet them right we don't want a kid to try to come up and pet them have them bite have them pull away have them run away because they're afraid of the kid have them get all hoppy and jump on the kid either we want them to just sit there and if the kid pets them while well, i'm not paying attention we want the dog to be able to be behave until i can say hey little boy leave my animal alone, right? Well, one thing that that I use doing It's So Great is there is a group now on campus called I Can at IU, and one of the things that they're doing is actually educating people on um, service dog etiquette and um, letting people know um, when you come into contact with a service dog how the appropriate way to behave, which is to completely ignore them, even though they're so cute and adorable. Mm-hmm. But ignore them so they can do the job that they need to do for their handler. Is that a regular problem for you? It is. I've <laughs> pet this dog about 30 times since <laughs> yeah. I got here. I, so. it, I mean, in different environments, it's different. So, like, obviously, like, we're in, like, a closed space like it's just us there's not a crazy amount of people walking by so like and she I mean she's pretty calm right now I'm pretty calm like things are fine and so for him to be like sitting here and like petting her that's fine but when I'm in a grocery store and it's a high activity situation don't stop me you know (laughs) mid walk to the milk to Mm -hmm. pet my dog because one she's doing her job I don't really you know care to talk to you about how cute my dog is. I know she's cute. <laughs> you wouldn't stop me if I had a baby. Like, well, some people well, would, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, it's, just like, it's yeah. not going to be common, you know, etiquette to reach your hand into, like, a car seat and be like, oh, my gosh, this baby's so cute. And it's like, you know, pet their head. So don't do it to my dog. Yeah. And One y- of our clients wrote a wonderful piece, and it was about, you know, I don't think you'd stop and pet my crutch or my wheelchair or my walker, mm-hmm. so why yeah. are you petting my dog? Exactly. You know? And so I think people forget, as you guys are saying, that this dog is there to perform a particular job uh, and don't distract them. Mm-hmm. Well, that really says a lot about the training, though, that goes into these animals mm-hmm. to be able yeah. to get, do what they do. And that's why ESAs don't have public access, right? right. It's not something where you need... It, if it's something that you need to bring your dog into a public area, which is the way that I... This is just my personal opinion, right? Um, in my opinion, you have a service dog. It's it's not as much an ESA. Um, you know, um, because it's providing a service. It can It's had all that training, right? And this is something that this dog's been training for its whole life, so, you know, don't go and pet it. But, um, you know, I, I feel like the big difference is you need your ESA at home and you need your service mm-hmm. dog out in public. And that's that's where a lot of confusion is going on. And Jessica, you you trained your animals yourself. You have, am, am I correct? You have a couple cats, too? No, I have Daisy, who's eight, and then I have Leroy, who's about eight months. And so, you know, obviously Daisy's here because Leroy just doesn't know how to act yet. <laughs> Um, but he is basically following in Daisy's footsteps. And so he's gotten, you know, used to reacting to how, um, you know, I'm feeling because he's watched Daisy do it. And so he started to mimic that, but he just doesn't have, you know, the public etiquette yet to be out all the time. But when I go to work and stuff, you know, I'm taking him into work to get him used to just go over and lay down and hang out for a minute. 
um, be calm. You know, I'm in a house full of clients every day. The clients play with him and that kind of stuff, but he also needs to know how to separate himself from that and just be, you know, focused on me when I need him to be. And so, you know, he's doing pretty well right now, but he's he is only eight months, so we're getting there. Yeah. You, so, Jessica, with the way you've trained the dog so well in their behavior, again, I go back to, I'd say you have a psychiatric service dog, exactly. um, not, a, not an emotional support dog. Yeah, I just don't have the, um, I don't even know what you would want to call it. I don't have the formal training proof as far as, you don't like, have to. You, could come, right, you could go print off the ADA uh, testing requirements, come to Bloom yep. and Paws, and I can test you for it right there, and she'll probably pass, right? Um, and that's kind of the whole ordeal, right? And so you might not have the, quote, in air quotes, documentation, right? Because it's not really perfect, but, you know, um, that's kind of the whole point, right? And there, You can self-document. I mean, so yep. you could document, like, all the training you're doing with Leroy. I'm sure you take notes on it, so you remember at least I have to, where I was yesterday <laughs> with the dog. And so that's your documentation. Yep. 812-855-0811 or our email address is news at indianapublicmedia.org. If you have questions for our panelists here in the last 10 minutes or so as we're talking about emotional support animals and also a little bit about service animals on today's program. Uh, Sarah, you know, I will notice uh, really quick, I see that the dog was kind of up above the table you know, over on the radio, uh, but it does have a, like a, a jacket on, mm-hmm. and it does say service dog on that jacket. Is that something that's that's usually normal with service dogs or, or animals in general? Um, it's actually kind of, well, specifically like in Indiana, I don't really know about other states, having the identification that it is a service dog or, you know, even if you have an ESA out in public, you'll see vests and stuff. Um, it's most of the time just a common courtesy to be like, you know, this dog is separate from an average dog that is just a pet. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it just depends on, you know, the environment that you're in or what you expect to, you know, run into. And so when I'm taking her to work or, you know, I took her all through college with me in order for people to not ask me questions, I'm answering their questions for them. So, and even like, I don't know if you can see on the other side, it does say psychiatric, just so they're not like, well, is she a diabetic dog or do you have seizures? Like, I don't want to answer those questions. Mm -hmm. This is what it is. Go on about your day. Mm -hmm. So, and even like her name is on here. So it's just, I'm providing information that I know you're going to ask about. Mm -hmm. Let's, let's keep going. It's more of like a personal preference type deal. Like, hey, okay. This isn't just a regular pet. So what is the process for getting an emotional support animal? Is it something that my doctor would recommend? Mm-hmm. And would they recommend a type of animal? Or how? We've talked a lot about the illegitimate yeah. mm-hmm. claims. Of course. But. So with my mom's golden retriever, um, she got a note from her doctor because she got to go to California for a month. So she brought her dog with you, with her, right? So she got a note from her doctor. And then she still went ahead and read through her airline thing, right, to see what requirements she had for the airline. And I had to write a letter saying, this dog's received XXX and X amount of training. But as far as to get an ESA, you just have to be approved by a, of a, sorry, I have a stutter sometimes, a physician, right, or a therapist or anything like that, right? And that's it, said and done, right there and then. So the doctor approves it and then... Well, what if it's not a dog? What if it is something like Doctor approved a lizard it. or something? Mm-hmm. But I mean, they don't. There would be no training or anything like you. Yeah. Like like the letter that you write. I I wrote that letter just to have her not have any problems. It was kind of a preemptive letter, more more so than anything. Um, I do want to answer a question to our phone caller earlier that we didn't actually address, which was potty issues on the plane, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a 15-hour flight, yeah, you could have something like that. But with the required amount of training, dogs can go up to about 12 hours without using the bathroom, right? And maybe not puppies, but that's kind of the whole point. Um, I think my mom's flight was like five hours total with her golden. He did great. Set, stayed in down the whole time, paid attention. I guess the way back was different because there was beef dips in first class or something, and he lost his mind. But other than that, he was... Uh, he was pretty good i mean they also make dog diapers Mm -hmm. so if you're treating a dog similar to like a baby as far as like their bathroom habits and like the frequency of that i mean leroy wears a diaper so when i'm at work if i run into something that's going to last you know so many hours or whatever and i know that he's going to have to go to the bathroom i'm going to expect that his diaper is going to be dirty when i go back and check it um and so that just kind of helps to eliminate the messes and also 
keeps them focused on their job versus like, I went and peed over here, what do I do now? So, because I know when he has accidents, you know, he fixates on that and then it makes it harder for him to train on, you know, the daily tasks. And so if he can't see it and it's in like his diaper, then it, you know, it eliminates that distraction. Mm -hmm. I will say um, every day is pretty rigidly scheduled um, to plan for that. So depending on what what my day looks like with Jordy will, you know, we, we've got to work those things in and figure out, all right, you know, he's got court for three hours. So I'm going to make sure to, you know, take care of business before and after, but every, so I'm looking at every day um, and making sure that he gets his needs met and that is one of them. Um, so Do- Dogs love routine, right? Yeah. So whatever yeah, schedule you come up with them, get them up at the same time every day, get mm-hmm. them out to potty at the same time every day, feed them mm-hmm. at the same time, train with them, play, play with them. Come up with a schedule, follow it as closely as possible, and that's about the most dog training mm-hmm. advice I can give yeah. without getting some payment. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Love's routine. <laughs> Unfortunately, we, we are going to have to, to end the show there. We've covered a lot of ground today, and certainly there's always more we can get to, but we are out of time. I want to thank our guests. Tia, Jessica, Sally, and Benjamin. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. For Thank being you. Here today. Thanks to my co-host, Joe Wren, for sitting in today for Bob Salzberg. For our producer, Angelo Bautista, engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Sarah Whitmire. This has been Noon Edition on WFIU. Thank you for listening. Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. Publichealth.indiana.edu and Smithville Fiber, the GigaCity company. Fiber internet, HD and digital IPTV in Southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.